The world is changing quickly. Some of the changes are alarming, and yet we have reason to give thanks. American Family Radio presents Thanksgiving from the Footnotes with Dr. Ray Pritchard, president of Keep Believing Ministries. Now, here's Ray. Let me begin with my text, and then I want to tell you a story. My text comes from the last line of the Lord's Prayer, which means almost everyone knows it by heart. Here it is from Matthew 6, 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And here's the story. Some years ago, I did a live TV interview with Jerry Rose on the Total Living Network. I have forgotten what we were discussing or how it came up. But in the course of the interview, Jerry mentioned that when he was a young man just starting out in Christian ministry, He talked one day with an older gentleman who had accomplished great things for the Lord. When Jerry asked him for some advice, the man said that early on he had learned to pray a certain prayer each day. He found that praying this particular prayer centered his soul and kept him on course spiritually. And for years, the man said, he had prayed that same simple prayer over and over again. When Jerry told the story, I wondered what prayer could have been so powerful. It turned out to be our text, the last line of the Lord's Prayer. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jerry said he had been praying that every day for many years, and he said it helped get his spiritual life in the right place. I want to suggest to you that here is a great prayer for any day, especially Thanksgiving Day. Yours is the kingdom. We all want to build our own kingdom, even if we wouldn't say it that way. We all have our plans, our dreams, our hopes, our agenda. When you pray, yours is the kingdom, you remind yourself that there is only one kingdom that matters. I often pray this way, Lord, if there needs to be a decision today, then let my kingdom go and let your kingdom come. Let it be your agenda and not mine. Yours is the power. Power is an aphrodisiac of sorts. The world flocks to powerful men and women because they know how to get things done. They are the movers and the shakers. They run the show, they make the decisions, they speak and we all listen. But earthly power is fleeting. The real power in the universe belongs to the Lord. So I sometimes pray this way, Lord, if you need to make me weak in order that your power might be on display, please do that. Help me to remember that any power, any power at all, comes from you. Yours is the glory. Now, glory is tricky. Do you remember the Celebrity Apprentice TV show? The theme song began with, Four simple words, or really one word repeated four times, money, 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 which tells you everything you need to know. The Romans knew a thing or two about glory. Check out Roman, see for yourself. And they coined the phrase, sic transit gloria mundi, which means thus passes the glory of the world. Fame is fleeting. Money is here today and gone tomorrow. In the end, Everything man builds collapses before his eyes. A friend sent me an email containing these lines from a poem called Gray's Elegy, written in a country churchyard in England. The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, and all that beauty 
All that wealth e'er gave awaits alike the inevitable hour. The paths of glory lead but to the grave. And so I pray, Lord, nothing I do today will matter unless you make it matter. Let your glory be clearly seen. And if that means that my glory, such as it is, that my glory should fade, so be it, because I am fading away anyway. It's a powerful prayer, as profound as it is simple. And that's why Jerry Rose mentioned it to me. That's why he prayed it every day. And that's why I have prayed it many times. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, by the way, the title of this message is Thanksgiving from the Footnotes. And I'm referring here to a certain problem. When you look up Matthew 6, 13 in your Bible, you're immediately faced with a problem or at least a conundrum of sorts. This benediction, beautiful as it is, the one we all know, it is not in the text of many Bibles. Now, it is found in the King James Version and the New King James Version. If you use the NIV, it's not there. If you use the NASB, it's not there. If you use the RSV, it's not there. And yet, we all know. We know these words are part of the Lord's Prayer. We know it because when we sing the Lord's Prayer, these words are always included. Now, what's going on here? This has something to do with textual criticism, which is the story of the transmission of the manuscripts of the New Testament going back to the earliest days. And it is true, it is true that this benediction is not found in most of the very oldest manuscripts. However, it is found in the vast majority of manuscripts, Greek and other languages from the first centuries of the Christian movement. So what's going on here? If these words are part of the Lord's Prayer, why aren't they in the Bible? If these words aren't part of the Lord's Prayer, who made them part of the musical text? Now, here's the thing. Even in these modern versions, you actually can find the benediction. It's either in the margin or it's there in the footnotes with a little note saying that some of the oldest manuscripts don't contain this benediction. So I'm saying these words actually are in your Bible. They are there, but they are in the footnotes. So that does raise the question. Did Jesus say these words? I do not have time, nor do I think you would be interested in hearing a lecture from me about textual criticism. Let me just give a simple answer. Did you know the Lord's Prayer is found in two different places in the Gospels? It is found in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Here's an interesting point. This benediction, and everybody agrees with this, this benediction is found only in Matthew 6. It is not found in Luke 11. And yet Jesus gave the prayer on both occasions. That leads me to a simple conclusion. I believe Jesus repeated this prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, on many different occasions. Sometimes he included the benediction, sometimes he didn't. And that's what I mean by thanksgiving from the footnotes. Everyone agrees that these words are both true and biblical. They form a fitting ending to the Lord's Prayer. In fact, it would be difficult to compose a more fitting conclusion. So let me 
just say it this way. I believe these words are biblical and true, and I believe Jesus did speak this benediction sometimes when he gave the Lord's Prayer, and sometimes he didn't. So I believe we are dealing with true biblical words from our Lord. Question, what does this benediction add to the Lord's Prayer? Especially, why do we need to think about it on Thanksgiving? I want to suggest they teach us three important truths. Number one, they point us back to God as the source of all our blessings. There is a Trinitarian emphasis in this closing benediction that reinforces both halves of the Lord's Prayer. Notice how perfectly the benediction brings the whole prayer together. We are to pray that God's name might be hallowed, for yours is the glory. Thus, even our daily bread is made sacred when we eat it to God's glory. We are taught to pray, your kingdom come, and to say, yours is the kingdom. And it is by the grace of King Jesus that our sins are forgiven. We are taught to pray, your will be done, because yours is the power. And it is by the power of the Spirit that we are rescued from Satan's control. By arranging the prayer this way, Jesus is teaching us one of the fundamental truths of the Christian life. And here it is. All our blessings come ultimately from God. After all, what is the first line of the great doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. No realm of life lies outside the realm of prayer because everything we receive comes as a gift from our loving Heavenly Father. Our prayers are not only to be addressed to God, they are to be founded in God. We are to rest our hopes in Him alone and not on our own clever schemes and human designs. We like to think that God is lucky to have us on His side. The Lord's Prayer teaches us how lucky we are to be on His side. He could do just fine without us. We couldn't survive for a moment without His sustaining grace. Now, there's a second truth we learn from the words of this ancient benediction. These words teach us to keep on going in hard times. Now, just consider these three statements. Number one, God rules the governments of this world. That's the approximate meaning of the phrase, yours is the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to God. He rules over the affairs of men. Governments come and governments go. Nations rise and fall. Presidents and prime ministers rise to power and then suddenly disappear. Men plot to overthrow and then suddenly they themselves are overthrown. I recall the week back in 1991, over 30 years ago, when communism finally ended in Russia. On that Monday morning, on that week, we awoke to the news that Mr. Gorbachev had been overthrown. Then we saw the pictures of Boris Yeltsin standing on the tanks, rallying the people. One of the cable news networks was there, broadcasting the news to the entire world. On Monday night, we heard rumors that the communists were going to storm the Russian Federation building. On Tuesday, we heard the people defiantly declare they would never go back to communism. Then on Wednesday, we heard the incredible news that the coup leaders had flown away from Moscow in utter desperation. 
wild celebrations. Hundreds of thousands of people dancing in the streets. The old Russian flag unfurled. Then the most impossible thing happened. Hundreds of young Russians gathered in the square directly outside the KGB headquarters, pulling down that huge statue of the evil Felix Dzerzhinsky. Just four months earlier, I walked right past that statue in Moscow. If anyone had tried to pull it down then, they would have been shot. But in a matter of a few days, the communist regime had come to a sudden end. Then Latvia and Estonia joined Lithuania in proclaiming their independence. Then Gorbachev returned. Then the world welcomed Yeltsin as a hero. And then the Communist Party was effectively outlawed. The world turned upside down in less than a week. As I thumbed through my copy of The Great Thoughts by George Seldes, I came across these words by Vladimir Lenin, quote, religion is the opium of the people. Religion is a kind of spiritual vodka in which the slaves of capitalism drown their human shape and their claim for any decent life. For 70 years, the communists tried to build a paradise on earth by following Lenin's words. They truly thought they could stamp out religion from Russian life. But today, Communism is a dead corpse waiting to be buried in the graveyard of history. Meanwhile, the Church of Jesus Christ is stronger than ever. That's not all Lenin said. Listen to these brave words. Quote, Give me four years to teach the children, and the seeds I have sown will never be uprooted. Lenin's prophecy was a failure because his seeds bore nothing but rotten fruit. But the church rolls on. The hammer and sickle has come down, but the church rolls on. The mighty Soviet Union is no more, but the church rolls on. Not just the church universal, but the church in Russia. That church, evangelical and Bible-believing, persecuted, hated, jailed, vilified, maligned, mocked, ridiculed, that church is rolling on today stronger than ever, tempered by years of suffering, purified through decades of tribulation, unified through persistent prayer, held together despite all that Lenin and Stalin and the rest could do. That church, my friends, that church is rolling on. When you look at a map of the former USSR, remember this lesson. God rules the governments of the world, for yours is the kingdom. Number two, Understand, God has the power to support his people. That's the second part of this great benediction. Yours is the power. Whatever his children need, the Heavenly Father can supply. Do they need wisdom? He is wisdom. Do they need strength to carry their burdens? He has an unlimited store. Do they need power? My friends, his hands created the universe. Do they need mercy? His mercies are new every morning. Do they need material supply? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The whole Bible is testimony to this great truth. Where God guides, God provides. He supplies. He will never lead his children where he cannot meet their needs. There is no power shortage with God. He has the power to support his people in all their needs. And then that last phrase, yours is the glory. All that God does, he does for his glory. All that God does for us, all that God does in us, all that God does through us, 
all that God does with us, He does for His glory. And what is the glory of God? It's anything that enhances God's reputation in the world. This is a crucial principle to remember when we pray. It's the key to understanding why some prayers are answered in ways that greatly surprise us. All His answers are for His glory. Mark it down, friends. God never answers prayer in any way that does not ultimately bring glory to His name. Sometimes God's glory is enhanced through a miraculous answer to prayer. Other times, God is glorified when His children endure suffering patiently. Sometimes, God allows a teenager to drift away from Him despite the prayers and tears of that teenager's parents. Why? In part because God respects the freedom of the human will. He will not compel people to serve Him. And in part because God receives greater glory through the repeated prayers of the parents as they model consistent faith in the face of a great family difficulty. And finally, God may allow it in order that when the teenager finally returns home, they will glorify God for his discipline when their son was in a far country. This principle applies to all the areas of life. Sometimes God is glorified through our prosperity and sometimes through our poverty. Sometimes his reputation is enhanced when we get the job for which we pray. Sometimes he gains glory when we react in a godly manner, even though we lose our job. In all things, God is working to bring glory to himself through the lives of his obedient children. He will do whatever is best for our ultimate spiritual good. And in the end, we will discover that whatever was for our ultimate spiritual good also ultimately brought glory to his name. There will be good times and bad times, miraculous deliverances and long seasons in the desert, happiness and sadness, popularity and misunderstanding. All these things are part of the journey from earth to heaven through many dangers, toils and snares. I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. All the emotions, and all the experiences of life are included in the things that God uses to bring glory to His name. There is a third and final truth we learn from this benediction to the Lord's Prayer. It teaches us to praise God always. When we pray, we are to begin by asking that God's name be hallowed, and we are to end by praising God for His sovereign rule over the affairs of men. Thus, the prayer begins with God and ends with God. God is its subject and its object. He is the one to whom prayer is addressed, and He is the source of every answer that flows to mankind. Matthew Henry said this, Praise is the work and happiness of heaven, and all who go to heaven hereafter must begin their heaven now. We are to praise God, not because He needs it, but because He deserves it, and because we need to do it. Praise fits us to receive God's blessings now and to enter God's presence later. It is the highest work of mortal man, for it lifts man from the mundane and points him toward the sublime. Praise redirects our vision from the temporary to the eternal. Psalm 71:14 says, I will praise your name more and more. 
I was in Dallas for several days doing a series of interviews for a book I had written. It happened during a live TV interview. It was going smoothly until the host asked me a question that had nothing to do with my book. He leaned over to me and asked, What's God been teaching you lately? That's not an easy question under any circumstances, but it's doubly tough when the camera is staring in your face. I thought for a moment and then gave a simple reply. I've been learning lately that I've still got a lot to learn about God. That may seem elementary, and in a sense it is, because no matter where you are in your spiritual life, you are still far from knowing God in all His fullness. Several times recently, the thought has occurred to me that even though I've been in the ministry for almost 50 years, and I've been a Christian for 53 years, there is still so much, so much, I still don't know about God. At this point in my life, I'm more aware of what I don't know than what I do know. Now, that leads me to say this. Some of us have constructed a God of the good times. When our prayers are answered and life is going well, we like to say, God is good. We've got money in the bank when things at the church are going well, when our marriage is good and our kids are good and the grandkids are doing well. I mean, we like to say, God is good. And that's true, but what are you going to do when they kick you out of the church or you lose your job? Boss comes in and says, we don't need you anymore. Or much worse, the doctor comes and says, I'm sorry. There's nothing more we can do. If all you have is a God of the good times, then you don't have the God of the Bible. When he was a teenager, our oldest son and a few friends survived a terrible crash in our van that sent all of them to the hospital and nearly cost them their lives. During a Thanksgiving worship service a few months later, my wife stood up and said something like this, We are very grateful that God spared our son and his friends. Many people have said, God was certainly good to you. Ray and I believe that with all our hearts. But I want to say that even if our son and his friends had died, God would still have been good whether we understood it or not. I confess that I believe every word that my wife said is true, but when I heard her say it, I was unnerved. As I have pondered the matter since then, I've concluded that faith is not a feeling based on our circumstances. True biblical faith chooses to believe that God is who He said He is and that He will do what He said He will do. Sometimes you believe because of what you see. Often you believe in spite of what you can see. As I look at the world around me, many things remain mysterious. But if there is no God, and if He is not good, then nothing at all makes sense. I have chosen to believe because I must believe. I truly have no other choice. Along with millions of believers across the centuries, I have learned through my tears that my only confidence is in God and God alone. This benediction adds crucial balance to the Lord's Prayer. It brings together all the great themes in one triumphant climax. Furthermore, it reminds us of important truths we need to write on our hearts. We pray because we know these things are true. We pray because these things are always true. We pray because these things are always true and we should say so. So let's pray. Gracious Father, when we are tempted to despair because of situations that seem out of control, help us to remember that yours is the kingdom. 
When we feel like giving up in the face of impossible difficulties, remind us that yours is the power. And when we become too impressed with ourselves, teach us again that yours is the glory. With the people of God across the ages, we affirm that these things are always true. Amen. Thanks for listening to this special program. I wish you and yours a very blessed Thanksgiving Day.